0: This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and this show is brought to you by my patrons. Specifically, this week, Godfrey and Casey. Thank you so much. This show really is only possible because of my patrons. So if you love my work and you want to support it, if you find yourself looking forward to the new show or the new blog post every single week, then please go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And for just a dollar, three dollars, or five dollars a month, you get extra content every single week, including House of Heretics, my patrons-only podcast with the Former Salvation Army officer turned Christian heretic Timothy McPherson, where we talk about religion, philosophy, current events, whatever is on our mind that day. All right. Well, I am delighted to welcome to the show, Doctor Zoe Alderton. Zoe, thank you so Hello. much for joining me.
1: No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: It's uh, it's delightful to talk to you. We uh, we made this connection because of uh, John Moorhead and I conspiring to you know look into the Snape Wives more. I, I watched a YouTube video about them, and I texted him. Uh, John Moorhead, for listeners who don't know, he's uh, an evangelical who focuses on interfaith dialogue, and he's a wonderful guy. He does great work within Christian communities. And I texted him. I was like, you have to, you have to interview someone about the Snape Wives. This is such a fascinating new religious movement, and uh, he found you. And then he uh, (laughs) and then we made this connection. Yeah. So uh, tell us some about who you are and what you do.
1: Well, I uh, have a Ph.D. in religion from the University of Sydney, and now I work in the University of Sydney in the School of Economics, if you would believe it. A bit of a difference. I I, um, run their communications program. So living the, the academic life, um, even though I've, I've stepped away from snake Wives, but it is always such a pleasure to return to them. And so lovely that even all these years after the publication of my paper, people still care. That's what I wanted from it.
0: You also have this whole other side body of work, that we might need to have you on again to, to, to talk about, about the aesthetics of self-harm. And you've done lots of scholarship into self-harm and self-injury. That's another area that I'm really fascinated with. So we might have to have another conversation about that as well. You've, you've just... Oh, I would love to. You, you've just, you know, investigated all of these fascinating topics. So when I... Uh, announced to my Discord server that I was having on someone to talk about the Snape Wives slash Snapeism. And if they had any questions, the, the primary response was, What the fuck is that? So tell us, what are, who are the Snape Wives?
1: Look, it's a long, uh, complicated story. Partially the Snape Wives are a group of three women. The The core group were Tonya, Rose and Conchita, who really came up with this idea of Snapeism. Uh, they're the ones who really defined it as a religion. But more broadly, it's just a term that refers to anyone in the Harry Potter fandom who is particularly devoted to Snape, um, and also people who are devoted to Snape in a very uncritical kind of way, people who, despite him, in my opinion being a fairly unpleasant character in the books, tend to see him as someone who was very unfairly misrepresented.
0: Mm. Okay, so so Snape wives and Snapeism can have kind of they're they're kind of nested within each other is what i'm hearing you say absolutely
1: yeah that's okay. right
0: okay so so snapeism is kind of a broader movement within the harry potter fandom which really valorizes maybe tinges towards worship of the the figure of snape in various ways maybe that's spiritual maybe that's symbolic maybe that's literal or you know in all of those different ways and then the snape wives were a particular manifestation of snapeism am i right about that
1: well it depends some people had different personal definitions um i think we're wading into territory where probably a whole lot of people who were there at the time will disagree for the sake of disagreeing <laughs> but sure that's definitely a workable definition just that you know there were these core cool members but there was also a broader a broader movement of really um caring very deeply and profoundly for snape and in a lot of situations, seeing Snape as someone who was literally real, real beyond the fictional universe, like an actual sort of sacred
0: figure who who was objectively real. Why are they called the Snape Wives?
1: Well, they did literally get married to him. They shared a lot of pictures of themselves in wedding dresses. Uh, photoshopped themselves next to Snape they shared a lot of poetry about being married to him they shared the wedding vows from their wedding ceremonies to him so even though they didn't necessarily call themselves Snape wives they did present themselves as wives of Snape so it's um I think a pretty a pretty fair definition. Maybe not so fair to people who are a little bit more casually engaged, but definitely fair to these core members who really genuinely saw themselves as married to Snape on the astral plane.
0: Perfect. So are the Snape wives still active?
1: No. So Snape wives, unfortunately, are not active anymore. Uh, the, The three core members had... A pretty dramatic falling out, uh, especially over the fact that one of them became very attached to Agent Gibbs from NCIS. And a lot of that really got in the way of this purity of the focus on Snape and really pulled them apart. So their friendship fell apart and therefore Snapeism itself kind of fell apart. Can you still find individual people who call themselves Snape Wives? Absolutely. But this real movement that everyone would recognize as the Snape Wife movement, uh, it, it's it gone. It's long gone.
0: Mm, it's fascinating. So this other fictional figure started to come in and take up too much space in, in one of the Snape Wives' life. And that that created was it like an idolatry situation like there can only be space for one okay
1: and it was also an issue of polygamy uh because snape very clearly demanded to his followers that he be the only one so when one of the core followers then started having this very deep romantic uh engagement with agent gibbs it ruined that And it caused this huge fracture in the heart of the Snape Wives that they really never came back from.
0: Mm, It's fascinating. Okay, so as I'm listening to you talk, there's this thought that I have that I'm just going to go ahead and try to articulate it, even if I don't articulate it well.
1: No, please go for
0: it. So I remember back in 2015 and 2016, back when cringe culture was really big on YouTube and there were all of these cringe compilations of people reading posts from Tumblr and, you know, it, there was like this whole cringe industry. Yeah, yeah, and I remember
1: that well.
0: And one of the subjects of cringe, one of the many subjects of cringe was, uh, were uh, other kin on Tumblr yes. and people, you know, people who have identities as, as animals. And I remember looking at these videos and just thinking, cringe is so boring. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I want To know more, and I want to—I want to know more about what other can believe and why. And I'm just not interested in cringing at them because the fact is, I believe everyone is cringe. Every, I think we are all. Oh, absolutely!
1: I am a massively cringe person. Yes,
0: me too. Me too. I mean, I'm a Satanist. There are a lot of people who cringe at that. (laughs) Um,
1: oh, i sure Satanism cringes its own hashtag, no doubt.
0: Yes, I'm sure it is. I am too scared to look it up. Maybe I'll look that up after. <laughs> Maybe I'll look that up at, on Twitter after this. But, you know, I, so I, I'm coming into this conversation really with cringing at the Snape wives being at the bottom of my list. I think that if we get past this this impulse to just make fun of them, then it raises lots of really interesting questions about religion and belief and what counts as weird and what doesn't count as weird. And so I don't see anything more weird about the Snape Wives than, than any other belief Uh, religious belief. You know, I have friends who put their tarot decks out under the moon, under the full moon to charge their their tarot decks. I have people who go, I have friends who go dance around bonfires at night and during the full moon. And I have friends who believe that the Eucharist literally transforms into the body and blood of Christ. I mean, all of these beliefs are no more or less weird than the Snape wives, (laughs) right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I completely agree, and I also have friends in all of those categories, and I think it helps to humanise them. I don't think we get a lot out of just laughing at people. Uh, that strikes me as pretty unfair. I mean, look, some things are funny. I probably did laugh a few times Writing the Snape Wives paper, and I've I've laughed at some of the reactions to it, but I don't think that should be our primary mode of inquiry. I, I agree with you. We don't get that much from making fun of people. Um, yeah, and the the same thing, you see it also with communities you mentioned like other kin. They can seem outrageous if we have, you know, a fairly conservative social circle around us, but I think it is quite unfair to look at anything that deviates from the norm as inherently funny. You know, why does that Why does that have to be something that we make fun of rather than take seriously or at least take on face value, that even if we don't personally agree with someone else's spiritual beliefs... It doesn't mean that they're stupid or that they're badly considered or that they're ridiculous. That seems like a really mean approach to me. And I agree that we don't get a lot out of that kind of approach.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I I sometimes wonder, this is probably me doing a bit of mind reading, but I sometimes wonder if we really shut down, and by we, I, I don't mean you and me, but I mean we as in you know collectively in, in western countries where you know christianity is is prominent i sometimes wonder if people r- shut down investigate, or, or uh, shut shut down new religious movements being curious about them investigating them because maybe it it makes the foundations of their own beliefs a bit soggy Right. It it yeah. ra- it does raise. I remember this. The very first episode I ever did on this show was with a guy named Chris Shelton, a uh, former Scientologist. And one of the things that that really came out in that conversation was just how scary thinking about Scientology is if someone is devoutly religious. <laughs> right. And <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that they'
1: are secular, I've seen really negative attitudes towards Scientology coming from all directions.
0: Yeah, very true. So So you know I, I, I wanted to say all of that just to frame kind of where I'm coming from with this conversation because I think a lot of people will see the title and will come into it being like, "Oh my God, this is so fucking cringe. And that's not how I am approaching it. Um, but I
1: hope they do I hope they come in based on that title and I hope that we can all kind of reflect on the fact that yeah some things are funny we can have a laugh about something but it doesn't mean that there isn't something deeper in that or something that's worthy of respect as well like you scratch the surface and there's a lot of sincere people who poured a lot of effort into something. And I think that's a big part of, of cringe culture is in a way just laughing at at people's effort. Mm -hmm. Like I've heard arguments that, you know, shows like South Park that are based on this idea of cringe are kind of like, we should make fun of people for believing in anything that having any kind of belief, any kind of morality, any kind of spiritual feeling is funny and we should make fun of them for that. And what does that leave us as like just completely cynical individuals who, you know, think that it's, it's hilarious that anyone has any depth of sincerity. Like I do think that's a problematic mindset even though it's a mindset that I can be prone to. So I hope there are people who are coming in to laugh at Snape Wives who can kind of start thinking, oh, you know what, actually maybe this reflects some some interesting trends in culture at the time, some interesting trends in fandom, some interesting trends in religion. Yeah, so there's this, this comical process of seeing them photoshopping themselves in weddings with Snape. Like there's something quite hilarious and silly about that but if you scratch the surface there's so much that we can learn from snapeism about popular culture at the time fandom at the time gender relationships there's a lot more than just things that are a little bit goofy
0: Mm. so what led you into this world what got you interested in this what made you want to write about this to begin with
1: oh i was already in this world i was a fairly active certainly not well known but but pretty active member of harry potter fandom in the uh sort of early to mid 2000s i was extremely enthusiastic about the books i would go to the um opening of all of the movies with my friends dressed up in harry potter costumes We'd wait until the shops opened in the early hours of the morning to go and get, uh, you know, a first edition of every new book that came out. And I spent hours, hours, countless hours on the internet in my sort of late teens and, and early 20s just thinking about Harry Potter, talking about Harry Potter. Uh, this was a long time before a lot of the uh the the later transphobia from J.K. Rowling kind of gave me a bit of a sour feeling about all that. But during the time I was front row centre, I had a lot of thoughts and snake Wives were something that we all looked down upon at the time. We thought they were very ridiculous uh, and we thought that the rest of us were really sensible and mature and thoughtful, uh, even though these ladies, they would be a good 20 years older than me. But at the time, we we all just thought they were quite hilarious I mean, and spent just, a lot of time making fun of them.
0: Just, just to get a, a, a sense of where we both were at that time, when what do you mind saying uh, when you were born?
1: Oh, sure. I was born in 86.
0: Okay, yeah. So you're you're about two So I was born in 88. So you're you're about 2 years ahead yeah, of me. Yeah,
1: we're basically the same. Yeah, the same age. So so yeah. we
0: so yeah. So so I was on the edges of Harry I I adored Harry Potter. I was never really in I was never in the fandom. I was never, you know, in the you know, beating heart of the fandom the way you were, but it <laughs> definitely true. <laughs> but it, it definitely really shaped my life. I mean, Harry Potter. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that age, you know, the early 2000s, the late 90s and the early 2000s, that, yeah. So I'm I'm going back to that time in my life and, and imagining all of this happening and the Snape wives appearing during this time.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they were old enough to be our parents huh. uh so it's interesting that we kind of like people our age were going out of our way to be like oh we're we're so much more mature than than they are uh but they were definitely something that we all used to be like oh we're really into this but we're not crazy the snake wives they're crazy So they're always just kind of like this reference point in my mind. And the older I got, I suppose, the more nuanced my response to them started to be. And then I sort of thought, oh, this would be a really interesting religious studies article to publish one day. And then a few years later, I kind of realised, hey, you know what, uh, now I have the academic skills. I wrote it while I was sort of at the, the end of getting a PhD and I realised, oh, OK, I actually could go back and write that article on Snape Wives that I was always itching to write. And part of it was kind of like, you know, I never had a name in fandom, even though I was always there. Maybe now I can retrospectively be remembered as someone who dedicated a large amount of my time to Harry Potter fandom. And by that point I was a lot older and wiser and I could look back and see the Snape Wives as people who we were making fun of because they were so sincere and because they were different and because they were middle-aged women who had sexual feelings. And I was like, uh-oh, that's not that's not great that we did that. That's a bit unfair. So I wanted to unpack that and also to say with this sort of deeper understanding of religion that I had as someone who was trained to be a religious studies academic, I realised I got a few things wrong at the time about what a religion really is and should be considered as. So it was sort of me correcting my own thoughts as much as correcting anybody else.
0: Was there a sense of, so so you would have been like in your teens when this was going on, was there a sense of it being kind of creepy? Like here are all these kids our age you know, enjoying this fandom and then it's like oh there's this odd group of adult women old enough to be our mothers like taking this really yeah. seriously <laughs> it was there was there an element yeah. of like creepiness to that too
1: yeah that's probably where some of the cringe is coming from to be fair sure um, sure yeah it's always like i think there was always that feeling of why are adults so invested in this why aren't adults a bit more jaded or too busy to be part of fandom? Which is how I see myself now in my mid-30s. I'm like, I'm too jaded for fandom. I'm too busy for fandom. So it's sort of like, yeah, why didn't they think that? Because we were just used to to adults just honestly not having the time to be particularly passionate about anything anymore. Which is a bit sad, isn't it? That's a horrible thing to say. It is, but... yeah,
0: definitely. But that, w- but that was definitely the impression of like, oh, this is kids' stuff.
1: Yeah. Why? Yeah. And
0: I... Why are these adult women in 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 this space doing this thing? That's that. Yeah, I can imagine how that would feel really uncomfortable.
1: And their children like Harry Potter as well, which was also a bit weird. Mm. And people would say, "Oh, what happens when?" Their children discover that their mothers were the same. Lives. Right. I'm like, I don't know. Wonder if that ever happened. I don't. I don't know how well they covered their tracks. Hmm. I never found out anyone's surnames. I think they were using their real names, but yeah, maybe maybe the kids never found out. But there was that sort of weird moment of being like, hang on, their kids are only uh, a little bit younger than us. Uh, they could certainly be joining in in fandom soon and discovering, you know, that their, their mothers were cheating on their fathers on the astral plane.
0: <laughs> OK, so, so you
1: know, there's some weird aspects. There's some weird aspects. I do admit that.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, so let's go ahead and get into what the Snape Wives believed. What was their belief system?
1: It kind of boils down to the idea that on some sort of parallel dimension, they're not really specific about what that is, uh, but there's some kind of world out there where Hogwarts is real, uh, the characters in it are real. There was a battle against Voldemort and that J.K. Rowling is someone who is able to channel that world and put it down in a series of books, but she didn't create that world. And so anyone else is also able to channel that world and channel its characters and in doing so be actually able to critique Rowling and critique her interpretation So for a lot of the Harry Potter books we see Snape through the eyes of Harry and to Harry he's this really mean, fairly abusive, I would say, teacher who seems to single him out for no reason, who makes him embarrassed, who tortures his friends. Whereas through the eyes of Snape himself, Harry could be seen as someone who was irritating, who messed around and primarily who was the child of his own, you know, teenage sweetheart who he never got over. So it's this idea of, of different perspectives in the universe. Because J.K. Rowling didn't actually create the universe, in their opinion, anyone else could sort of, tune in for an alternative version, which, you know, it makes sense in some contexts. So anyone engaging in fan fiction was also kind of tuning into this universe and coming up with their own versions or their own perspectives or rewriting things or filling in gaps. It's just where the Snake Wives are a bit different is they take that to be more literally true. So Snape really, really does exist and he can be channeled.
0: Mm. And J.K. Rowling was sometimes wrong in her channeling. She needed to be corrected. Yes.
1: Yes, because she had it in for Snape and she just loved Harry too much. So her perspective was skewed and unfair. So she she needs to be corrected.
0: In a conversation uh, but- sorry go on go on
1: oh i was just gonna say that the weird thing about it is it starts to get very asynchronous i suppose you could say after the publication of the half-blood prince there was a really long gap and during that time it was pretty unclear if snape was a good guy or a bad guy and it turns out that he was ultimately you know on the side of good even though he was on the side of good a lot of snape fans felt that that didn't really come through as clearly as it could have in the final book and in the final book he dies sorry for all the spoilers everyone hopefully <laughs> <laughs> you're aware of this by now <laughs> dumbledore dies as well you know sorry Sirius dies sorry for the uh, <laughs> Ruining it. Um. So, so does
0: Harry, by the way. Um,
1: oh my god! I know. Well, eventually, at some point.
0: I mean, no, he he uh, he was killed by by Voldemort and then came back to life and was a Christ True. figure
1: good point good point oh yes yeah that got a heavy-handed at points but yes absolutely yeah oh
0: my god I got so sick of hearing hearing about you you know all the christian kids who were obsessed with harry potter told that reading harry potter was uh witchcraft and then by the time the seventh book seventh book came out we were all like see he's actually a christ figure (laughs) See, and we all felt very vindicated.
1: (laughs) Yeah, having gone to a Christian high school, uh, I definitely went through that firsthand. My parents let me read whatever I like, my good old atheist parents. But um, yeah, no, that that debate definitely existed existed (laughs) at my high school. Oh, memories. Um, But yeah, so things get really wonky because – The peak of the Snape Wives activity happens before the book where Snape dies, but then if you look at the chronology, because one year passes for each Harry Potter book in the Harry Potter universe, multiple years pass in our universe as we wait for the publication, so even though a book might come out in 2007, it might actually be set, you know, way back in like 2001. There's a point at which Snape is killed and then these people have been channeling Snape past the chronological date that he's said to have died in. So they have to do like all of this work to kind of bring him back to life and say either he wasn't really dead Or Rowling killed him and she got that wrong. Uh, So we're, you know, revitalizing him. And, you know, she just went on such a pro-Harry campaign that she actually misread the universe completely. So they had to do a lot of heavy lifting by the end of the book. Wow. By the end of the publication, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. And what you were just saying about... This notion that the Harry Potter universe was is actually real—that it, it's you know somewhere out in the multiverse or on some fundamental level, be it kind of metaphysically or literally—that brought to mind this quote from Stephen King. I'm—I apologize to my audience because I've been quoting Stephen King quite a bit lately, but. <laughs> Um he in his book on writing a memoir of the craft he says this quote stories are found things like fossils in the ground they are relics part of an undiscovered pre-existing world the writer's job is to use the tools in his or her toolbox to get as much of each one out of the ground intact as possible that's a that's a mm. that's a religious belief. I mean that that's a very that's a spiritual belief and I I don't think it's necessarily uncommon. I mean stories are so powerful and profound. Art is so powerful. It's like can we imagine a world where Beethoven's Ninth Symphony doesn't exist. It's like, no, it's if, you know, I, I was a music major. So that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. But I'm like, sure
1: everyone can, you know, hum along, even if they exactly. don't recognize it as that, you know, it, it's so in our consciousness.
0: Exactly. And and there's this sense of it having such a, a such a fundamental reality. Where did this thing come from? You know, where did the Ninth Symphony come from or where did the Lord of the Rings come from? come from and i've seen a lot of people really take this idea that it was always there either metaphysically or literally or spiritually there was always some it was always there in utero somehow and that the author was just the channeler i've seen that a lot And so the
1: Yeah, and Tolkien himself said it. I I mean I think it was kind of either meant to be a bit of a joke or just kind of like a way of entering the Lord of the Rings universe, but he was saying, you know, I was I'm only a translator of what happens in Middle Earth.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And what I what this brings to mind for me is how a lot of a lot of new religious movements and or what we sometimes call c- cults, a lot of their ideas, and I don't, I don't personally, I try personally not to use the word cult because I, I yeah,
1: good, well, it's misleading. Yeah. That's it, not really what it, what it was designed to express.
0: Precise, yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. But a lot of what in the popular imagination, shall we say, are cults. So yeah, take, yeah, 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 take like Heaven's Gate. I mean so i had on the the i forget his name goodness but the the scholar the the religious scholar who who wrote a book about heaven's gate from a theological perspective and really dissected the theology of heaven's gate i mean mm-hmm. they one of the things that he articulated was you know at the time these ideas weren't crazy you know, there was a lot of talk about the possibility of life and uh, life on other planets and and life visiting Earth. And that wasn't that was very much in the mainstream. I mean, the, Xbox, we
1: the age of Aquarius idea that we're about exactly. to enter into this new era where things would be profoundly different.
0: Exactly. Like, yeah,
1: it was part of the social fabric at the time. It
0: was. It was part of the social fabric and not... But also, I mean, the scientific community was was talking about extraterrestrials. The... Hmm. You know, the the X-Files was currently going, the, you know, Star Trek was, was going, it was, it was so part of the discourse. And when we put Heaven's Gate into the context of that, suddenly it clicks. Another good example, I just read a book about spiritualism. And one of the things that this author, one of the points that this author made over and over again was like, look, you know, radio waves had just been discovered. Mm. Radio wave, the, this idea that invisible information could pass through the air undetected, that there was this whole world of, of waves and energies, that was revolutionary. That was just absolutely unprecedented. That was true magic. And it was just not a huge leap from there. To say, oh, this explains apparitions and ghosts. That just at the time wasn't a huge leap. And And
1: all the grief in the community at the time, like the sort of post war spiritualist church, people were missing people who should not have died. Exactly. They were missing, like, primarily, you know, their sons or their young husbands who were not expected to have died on masse. like there was massive cultural waves
0: of grief exactly that, that that's right and so you know i i find it a really helpful exercise to put things put these things into context and when and it's kind of a practice of of intellectual empathy like let's let's just inhabit that cultural headspace to the degree that we're able to
1: yeah, absolutely. And, I think that's a fantastic methodological approach.
0: And and when we do that, we can actually see how it happened. We can we can see how it makes sense. And so anyway, I I that's very much how I feel about the Snape wives with, you know, like this. I have no idea. I I, I don't know how I I'm hmm, how do I want to say this? I'm bringing up that Stephen King quote not as in, you know, they they literally believe that, but that it's something that's been in the air, this idea that creators are channelers, that they are discoverers instead of creators, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder how much it goes back to like more classical ideas of muses
0: mm. and
1: things like that, that, you know, all great inspiration is somehow external. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so... One of the things in your conversation with John that I found super interesting was the prohibition on homosexuality. Mm. Um, talk some about that, like, like, well, and actually, let's put that in a broader context. What were, what was the, did Snape give them a code? Was there a moral code for how to live yes. their lives? Other, other, you know, we and we can talk about homosexuality as as well. But what was that code?
1: It was it was a pretty explicit code, basically, that he is the master. He is overseeing everything that happens in their lives and they have to be subservient to him and his wants. So occasionally his wants would be discussed, so things like being taken more seriously than a lot of fandom was taking him, To be called master rather than to be called snape a lot of it was was kind of based on this idea of respecting him and his character but he did also from time to time give them very very clear codes of sexual ethics and really uh very very strong focus on Homosexuality and avoiding it, like quite a surprising amount of focus on that. Mm. So he makes it, I mean, makes it very clear that there's to be no relationship between the wives, even though sometimes they will do things like channel um, sexual encounters with and for each other that has to be really carefully framed as not a lesbian experience at all has to be really carefully framed as rigidly heterosexual and that the female body is just channeling the male spirit so therefore very straight um and also the fact that two of the three main snake wives were married to men and that kind of created a bit of confusion in terms of, you know, if Snape inhabits their body, is that in any way homosexual? Um, so making it very clear that that Snape is completely against homosexuality, and that even though there might be same-sex bodies involved in a sexual act, that that has to be really, really, really carefully framed as straight. It's amazing how much focus there is on homosexuality way more than any other kind of moral code.
0: I have so many questions. Um I think <laughs> I
1: I can try to answer them. Well, I don't yeah. know.
0: So so the first question I have is is this so so there's a lot of language that you're using that's that's very y describing the relationship between Snape and the wives, and yeah, I'm, that's
1: how they wanted it to be. It was very framed in that kind of way, did, actively, consciously.
0: So did they kind of emerge from or have any connection to the more sexual aspects of the fandom, like like shipping, yeah. and and was that and and kind of kinky or BDSMy? Uh, a scenarios with Harry Potter characters was that something that they wrote engaged with etc and then did this kind of emerge from that or is there some connection there
1: there's a connection in terms of they said that any sort of flash fiction which is the for those who don't know the term that was used at the time for like a sexual relationship between two characters what that was written Fan fiction.
0: What was the word again?
1: Slash, slash fiction.
0: Slash slash fiction. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, so that was something that, that was quite big at the time. So something like Harry slash Draco would be about a sexual relationship between those two characters. Uh so they were really opposed to that because a lot of slash fiction was homosexually oriented and a lot of it was about exploring tensions between characters that were completely non-sexual in the books but became sexual in a fictional work responding to the books so a lot of the the tensions between characters were, were explored that way by other authors and the Snape wives were really actively opposed to any kind of Snape slash fiction because a lot of that um the the vast majority of it was with another male character or multiple male characters um there were some heterosexual fiction around him as well, but but generally it was so homosexually oriented that they did not like that at all. So we know they're aware of slash fiction because they condemn it. Mm. Um, so they did not like it. In terms of being part, I don't think they were ever exactly part of a kink scene, but I think they would have identified as somewhat kinky because they really enjoyed the idea of a domineering master and that kind of, you know, that that sort of basic dominant submission relationship type. So I think they probably would have been comfortable being called kinky, but were they part of an actual kink scene? I don't think so.
0: Hmm. Do you detect any sublimated homosexuality in the wives? I mean, this is probably you know to you know we're very much probing into like the private lives of these of these women who probably just want to be left alone so you know I apologize to them <laughs> yes, if they're listening look, I about this
1: if, if you are listening um <laughs> I'm just sorry for all of this um look isn't there something a little bit gay about like writing out a sex scene with one of your female friends like I don't know that that doesn't seem like the absolute straightest thing I have ever <laughs> heard of in my life. Um I've
0: I've definitely seen straighter for sure.
1: Yeah I've, I also have seen straighter Um, but does that mean someone is like actually gay? No of course not like I, we're all on a spectrum somewhere and I think they might have explored a little bit further towards homosexuality than they may have thought they were doing, which is, you know, probably all that anxiety over it is why they went to so much trouble to say we're really, really, really straight. Like I feel like people don't say that unless they're kind of trying to ward off homosexuality. And I got that feeling. It's like why would you mention this so often you seem to be bringing this up way more than any other theme. Why? um But again, that—that's my own psychoanalysis of uh, just an ongoing suspicion I always have towards people who are the most homophobic. I'm kind of like, oh, what are you hiding there, mate? I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: It's not clear. It's not clear. Um, but. Sexuality was like such a huge focus in the movement that they definitely had to put in these like really clear boundaries about who they were as sexual beings.
0: You mentioned in your conversation with John that one of the wives was uh, a a former Pentecostal Christian. How much did... How much did that inform the movement? How much did former religious affiliation inform the Snape wives?
1: Oh, hugely, I think, um, because she does talk quite a bit about things like she used to speak in tongues um, during, she was obviously, uh, you know, like the the actual gifts of the Pentecost were like really emphasised in the churches that she went to when she was younger, uh, that she used to channel the Holy Spirit, but that she thought that the Christian God was always someone who was really distant and that the church community were happy with things like speaking in tongues, but they didn't really want any interpretation placed on the Holy Spirit that that her own personal commentary about her experiences of channeling wasn't welcome. So when she found Snape, she was really able to take that Pentecostal mindset and apply Snape as God. And all of a sudden he's someone who's so much more real and imminent and able to be connected with. And her channeling is like really deeply respected by other people who think that she has this amazing gift, uh, you get the impression that that in her younger days at church, her channeling was seen as just a little bit too much and she didn't really get the positive feedback for it or the kind of framing that she needed for those kind of feelings. So as soon as Snape comes on the scene, he can just slot into this pre-existing worldview really well.
0: Mm. Right, right. And you know, there are some I I see this out in the wild all the time where I will see this how do I how do I want to say this? So it's like the the religion of childhood creates a mold in yeah. the, it, within a person and then that person is is able to and, and then other religious ideas or practices are kind of able to just slot right into that later in life. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I just see that over and over and over again, that isn't a negative process. It's just a process. It's just a thing. Yeah, that- I think
1: it's a natural human process that like so many ideas of our childhood shape future ideas. You know, we kind of tack knowledge onto pre-existing knowledge structures. So yeah, I think it's very, very normal that people do that. Hmm. And for her it was Pentecostal Christianity. And for a lot of other people, it was a very Americanized fandom, you know, like we could all and, and Australian culture isn't hugely different in the scheme of things. Like I never felt like I was some sort of cultural outsider. Um, you know, like it all and all the the UK fans, you know, we all just sort of melded into this general Western understanding of of religion and I don't think any of us really questioned why Snapeism had like all these characteristics that were exactly the same as a Pentecostal church, because for us, it was also so normal. Like we all sort of imagined that as generic religion,
0: Mm. like
1: maybe a bit over the top, but still like definitely within that framework of what you imagine religion to be like we might, You know, Australian fans might have been like, oh, typical Americans, really over the top, really taking it to extremes, but definitely fitted into that that understanding. It was never surprising or weird that religion would manifest like this. So I think we were all carrying our own cultural imagination of what religion is into this.
0: Hmm. Before we wrap up, here's a really interesting question from a member of my Discord server. And it might be too big a question for you to really offer a a, a good answer to. So, you know... Oh, no, tell, tell
1: me anyway. Tell me anyway. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. So
0: no pressure. But uh, this listener asks, I remember from your conversation with Lucian about the process church that he looked to the process for an example of what not to do with TST. Okay, so to, to give some backstory here... Uh Lucian Greaves is the co-founder of the Satanic Temple. In an interview with him, he told me that he looked to the process Church of the Final Judgment, which was an, a new religious movement in the 60s that had really... Hey, look, they're
1: a great animal welfare charity today, and I salute their work.
0: Correct. Yeah, absolutely. No, and and the process is fascinating. And I did two interviews about them, one interview with Lucian, and then another interview with uh william morrison from skinny puppy about the process church of the final judgment and and oh they won't
1: talk to me can you get them to talk to me
0: (laughs) oh
1: oh i i'm a i in my my other part of um my life i spent a lot of time in animal rescue and i guess i'm just curious about this really bizarre overlapping um connection between the two i'm like wait how did that become, absolutely you know, like absolutely. america's biggest no-kill sanctuary what
0: wow yeah no that's like right up your alley i don't know any. <laughs> yes, of, i don't know any process people but i know people who know people so i, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll see what i can do but yeah and everyone should go back and listen <laughs> Um, also Lucian Greaves is on record saying that the Process Church was a bigger influence on TST than uh the Church of Satan and the works of Anton LaVey. Wow. And uh, especially wow. the the concept of the reconciliation of opposites where in the Process Church there are four primary deities there's Jesus, Jehovah, Satan and Lucifer and and there is this this balance and this progression through them and and that is far th- that so that sense of the reconciliation of opposites is way more prominent within TST than it is in Church of Satan because TST is yeah. really informed by the process. So anyway,
1: that's I never a, thought of that. That's fascinating. Anyway, sorry, I'm massively derailing from the no, question. No, it's
0: okay. No, but it, it's Process Church is fascinating. Okay, so so second okay, part yes. of this conversation, yeah. So so this person asks I remember from your conversation with Lucian about the Process Church that he looked to the Process for an example of what not to do is there anything that TST or Satanists more generally can learn can learn from the short-lived from a very short-lived religion like snapeism so let's let's open that up a bit broader and what is what is some so us Satanists, we are a new religious movement. We're very aware of that. We are aware that we are an invented religion as well. What do you have? Do you have any thoughts on what a new religious movement can learn from the new religious movement of the Snape Wives?
1: Yeah, don't have massive fallings out between the founders or your screwed, uh, which I think new religious movements have uh, have certainly learned many times over. So that wouldn't be new to anyone. But I think more seriously, what you can learn from it is once we take away this really sort of shallow, aggressive kickback against anything that is new or anything that might be fictionally inspired or invented, once we put that aside and say, okay, well, That doesn't mean that people's actual feelings on this topic are fake or that they can't have any deep, profound religious experience within that framework. Once we kind of put that to the side and say, no, we we really can see that this is a very genuine part of people's lives and worldviews then we can start to unpack some of the political problems that lie beneath the way that things are interpreted. So if we can say, okay, well, you know, Snapeism has the right to exist. The Snape wives really did get something out of it, even if you as the listener might think it's a bit daft. Well, who cares? They might think you're a bit daft, whatever. If we can put that aside we start to get some much more important questions about things like why are we so uncomfortable with middle-aged women having a sex life or why are there groups that go out of their way to be so profoundly homophobic for no clear reason? Why are people so, as you said before, opposed to this idea of cringe? And I think those are the deeper, more meaningful questions. And I think they're the kind of interrogations that it's always important to bring to your own community and to yourself and to your own conduct in terms of your personal ethics and your relationship with other people. So instead of just thinking, oh, my God, they are so weird or they're so funny or they're so bizarre, you can actually look beyond that and start to unpack stuff that is A little bit more important like do we have normative homophobia in western culture still is that an artifact of the mid-2000s have we moved beyond it probably not um and also questions about how are women received you know do women have some sort of sexual expiration date in our society after which it becomes cringy to want a sexual relationship with someone else like i think these are the more important questions and if we can just sort of assume that it's fine for someone to believe in something that came out of a fictional book we can start engaging a bit more deeply with these things that that i think have a greater meaning
0: Mm. i think that's a fantastic note to end on Uh, Dr. Zoe Alderton, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. No
1: problem. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's been a really great experience.
0: Uh, for anyone who wants to follow your work, is there anywhere online where they can do that?
1: Look, I'm not a really heavy user of social media. You can definitely find me on places like Twitter or Instagram, but mainly I'll just be sharing pictures of my rescue pets. Oh, that's so, what I do uh, too. I, I'm I'm terrible. Oh, with,
0: I'm terrible with social media. I just I have six cats and and. I just share pictures of them all day long. Oh,
1: good. I have an equally insane amount of dogs. So (laughs) if anyone wants to, uh, to follow my dogs on TikTok, it is the dogs of Bardsworth. So you're very welcome. Uh, they're, they're a good ecumenical group of dogs. They will not turn away practicing Satanists. Uh, they will love and embrace you. Um, in terms of finding my work online, uh, just plug it into Google Scholar. One day I'll do something more professional. But at the moment, I'm really just much more about the weird rescue pets.
0: Amazing. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by D Seven. The theme song is Wild. You can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. This show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long. And it is supported by my patrons at patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. As always, hail Satan. And thanks for listening.
1: Hail Satan! Beautiful. Do <laughs> reckon that's going to capture the energy for your audience?
0: Yes, I think that was perfect. <laughs>